Hey, let's get our Bibles and uh, turn to Romans chapter 12. Over the last uh, few weeks, we have been answering a question, and it's a question that uh, I posed to you the very first uh, week of, of this series that we're in. And the question is this, what does a real, authentic follower of Jesus Christ really look like? What does a real, authentic follower of Jesus Christ really, truly look like? And how do they live out their faith? Is it someone who, who has perfect Sunday school attendance? Is it someone who um, is at church every time the doors open? Maybe Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you're there. Is it someone who has focused their energy all on fighting against and boycotting the world system? Is that what a real authentic follower of Jesus looks like? Is it someone who um, does a, a perfect job of, of keeping a, a certain set of religious rules, a list? Um, is, it, is it a person that just only listens to Christian music? Uh, is it a person, uh, who, uh, a woman who has, uh, always wears a dress and, make, and the dress is always a certain length? Is it, is it a man who, who only uses a certain version of the Bible? I mean, I could go on and on and on and on asking these kind of questions. This list, this picture that we have sometimes portrayed out there in the world of what a truly authentic follower of Jesus looks like. But, but is that the picture? Is that really what God intended for? When he, when he put Jesus on the earth and he said, follow this one, pattern your life after, after this man, my son, is that the picture? No, it, it's really not. In Romans chapter 12, I think Paul answers our question that we posed this morning. Paul gives us a description of, of what it really looks like, what it really means to follow Jesus Christ. Um, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I'm going to read this to you again. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve the will of God, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, Romans 12 gives us a very clear picture of, of how an authentic follower of Jesus Christ is to live out their faith. And Paul starts out by listing two very important characteristics. First of all, he says, a true follower of Jesus will be surrendered to God. Totally in, totally committed. When it comes to the chips of your life, you're not holding anything back. You've pushed it all in, and you're, you're there. You're in the game. You're all in. You're also, from what we talked about last week, you're separated from the world. You are working to separate yourself every day from the world system. You're, you're not giving in to the world's constant pull of, of to be obsessed with pleasure, position, or possessions. You, you, um, you, are, you are letting God's word shape you. You are letting God's word mold you. And you're letting it empower, to you, empower you to live powerfully in this world. Now, as I said a few weeks ago, I've come to the conclusion that uh, there are a lot of Christians or a lot of folks who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, but uh, for whatever reason, they don't, they don't live their lives any differently than those who aren't. And um, there are a lot of Christian atheists out there. We've been using that term. People who claim to believe in God, but yet do not live their lives as if he actually exists in the first place. Now, why is that? How, how, can a person, how can a person live one way on Sunday, whether it's all Sunday or just for a couple hours in the morning, how can they live one way on Sunday and then live completely different the other six days of the week? How, how can someone claim to be totally surrendered and totally separated from the world, and yet very little of their life actually reflects that? Well, again, I think part of the problem is, is that w what we, we, we prevented, what we presented as this picture of what Jesus Christ really looks like and what an authentic follower of Jesus really looks like, I think is, is probably a little bit skewed. 
it's been tainted, it's been flawed. Instead of people uh, being properly taught or even seeing true life examples of, of what a real, authentic follower of Jesus Christ really looks like, what, what they see and what they've been taught and what they're seeing is religion. And so what a lot of people think that God wants from us more than anything else is religion. We go, God wants a list, he wants a rules, he wants, you know, uh, us to be perfect, us to work harder. That's all religion. W- what is religion? Rig- religion is man's attempt, man's attempt to know and connect with God. Now, religion is a, as I said, a commitment to a man-made list of do's and don'ts. It's an attitude that says, God, listen, I'll work harder. God, I will try more. I'll do better the next time. Father, I, will, I, will, I promise you, I'll try harder to please you. It's a lifestyle that, that looks really good on the outside, but it, but it doesn't hold up on the inside. And as the Pharisees of the New Testament found out, Jesus was opposed to it. He actually came to rescue people from it, to, to free people up from religion. Now, why would he do that? Well, because he knew that man's religious attempts to try harder, to work more, to, to do better the next time would never put them in right standing with his father. I mean, he knew the, the long-term negative effects that religion would have on mankind. He knew that, he knew that some of the, 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 the things that religion would do. And religion causes us to do a few negative things. One of the things that it causes us to do is it, it causes us to be honest about, dishonest about our weaknesses. Um, it causes us not to be real not to be open, not to be honest about our shortcomings and our flaws. It causes us to wear a mask, to, to put on a facade, to be plastic about our weaknesses. Now, now, now why do we do that? Well, because we're afraid that um, someone might see the real us. They might, they might see the sin struggle that's going on inside of us. They, they, they might um, actually find out that things are not quite as good as what we're portraying, that, that maybe our marriage isn't quite as good as what we're putting out there, or th- that our kids are are not quite as perfect as we make them out to be. And so rather than, than, than getting spiritually healthy, rather than going through the process of, of truly dealing with the real us, all of our flaws and shortcomings and weaknesses, we continue to live in our problems. We, we continue to hide our insecurities. We continue to, to put on a facade. We continue to basically not be real. Why? Because we're fearful. We're fearful. We're, we're afraid that, that we're going to be judged. Judged by who? Judged by the religious. And so we are dishonest about our weaknesses, but it also causes us to be very judgmental at the same time. Religion causes us to look down our nose at other people's flaws, to, to, to look down at them for their sins and for their shortcomings, rather than Christ being the standard by which we judge ourselves, we like to judge ourselves based on other people. They become the standard, and we'll, and we'll, we'll sometimes say, well, at least I'm doing better than so-and-so. I mean, at least I'm not sleeping around on my spouse like so-and-so's doing, or at least I'm, I'm, I don't have a temper like so-and-so. At least, at least my kids aren't hellions like so-and-so. You know, I'm, they're kids. I mean, at least I'm doing better than them. And, and so we get this haughtiness about us that, that, okay, well, compared to everyone else I know, I think I'm doing pretty well, but they're not the standard. Christ is the standard. And we probably all have been guilty of this at one time or another. But it's all part of a religious mindset. And what does that create? Well, it creates us, it creates uh, inside of us this attitude to basically be a hypocrite. Now, hypocrite is one of those church words that we like to, to throw around in the context of religion. What is a hypocrite? Well, according to the Free Dictionary, a hypocrite is a person who possesses, uh, professes beliefs and opinions that he or she does not hold in order to conceal his or her real feelings or motives. In other words, a hypocrite is a person that pretends to be what he or she is not. Now, I hear this word a lot uh, in the context of 
not only people inside the church, but people outside of the church. People like to use this word inside the church to judge other people inside the church. But people also like to use this word outside the church, especially people in the community that are not in church. And, and sometimes they'll look at people like us or people in other churches and they'll say, you know, you know, I know the people that go to that church. I know how they really are. I know how they act when they're not in church. They're all just a bunch of hypocrites. And at least I'm not like them. I'm not pretending to be something that I'm not. Now, some of that is warranted, all right? But some of that is nothing more than a big, fat, lame excuse to keep running from God, all right? And so, unfortunately, that's the picture that has been created for much of the world outside of the church, is that we are a bunch of people that are just pretending to be something that we're really not. And then here's one of the saddest parts of what religion does to us. I think it, it causes us to miss out on an authentic relationship with God and with others. Religion causes us to believe that God is never satisfied with us, that he's never happy with us, that he's never pleased with us, and that, that we, that we are, could never achieve what he really wants us to achieve at the end of the day, and it creates this secret animosity between us and God. It, it causes us to be quietly frustrated. And, I mean, and seriously, I mean, who really wants to pursue a deep, meaningful, intimate relationship with a father that's never satisfied with you, that you can never please, that you can never make happy? I mean, who wants to do that? And so it causes us to feel that way about God, to be kind of feel some animosity between, I can never please you, so I'm not going to try. But it also causes us to, be, uh, to not want to be honest with other people. And that, that's one of the biggest challenges about getting people involved in a small group. Because you, your mindset is, why would, I, why would I want to do that? They might get to know the real me. They might actually see my flaws. They might see my weaknesses. They might see my shortcomings. I mean, what if someone finds out that I'm not all that I portray myself to be? What if, what if they don't really like me when, once they find out the real me? What if, what if they begin to judge me? And so what do we do? We avoid authentic relationships with other people. And unfortunately, all of this negative religiosity has been going on for centuries. And it's created a huge problem. What's the problem? It has created for many of us an identity crisis. We have a wrong view of God because of religion. We have a wrong view of God's word because of religion. We have a messed up uh, idea of the purpose of the church because of religion. And unfortunately, all of that causes us to miss out on knowing who we really are in the eyes of Christ, who we are in God's eyes because um, of religion. And what it's done is it's caused us to, to search for our significance and for our security outside the body of Christ, outside of God. And it's created this confusion for really why we're here in the first place. We, we go, I don't really know exactly why God made me or created me, put me here in the first place. I mean, how else do we explain this huge percentage of, believe, of believers who claim to believe in God and they live for God one way on Sunday and yet they don't live as, they tr as if they truly know him for the rest of the week. And I say one of the biggest problems that we have is, is, is that we really don't know who we are. As believers, we, we struggle with who in the world are we? We really don't know at the end of the day what God thinks about us, what he really thinks about us, who we really are in his eyes. A lot of professed believers, they have no idea who they are, they have no idea where they belong or, 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 or their purpose in life. And I say that one of the greatest days that you will ever have in your life is the day that you truly discover who you are in Christ. One of the best days, you can mark it down, the best days that you'll ever have as a believer is the day that you're able to look in the mirror and say, 
I think I really truly know what God truly thinks about me and why I'm supposed to be here and, and what I'm supposed to be all about. I mean, it'll be a huge step forward. It'll be a breakthrough day in your pursuit to become a real, true, authentic follower of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you something. Once you know this truth, this truth, according to the Bible, will set you free to live the life that God has called you to live. Now, I want to dig into this a little bit deeper with you this morning. I want to ask the questions. And I think there are three questions that all of us ask sometime in our lifetime, and you probably ask them more than once. And the first question is this, real simply. Who am I? Who am I? Romans chapter 12, uh, the Apostle Paul, here's what he says in verse 3. He tackles the question. He says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Now the Apostle Paul says this, he says, You are commanded to think accurately of yourself, not too high, which is pride, not too low, which is inferiority. He says, think accurately about yourself. Know who you really are. Now, I love this. Chip Ingram says that genuine humility is not thinking too high of yourself or not thinking too low of yourself. Genuine humility is not thinking of yourself at all. Now, a lot of us will take on, when we hear something like that, we'll take on what we call false humility, all right? Where we look at ourselves and we think, okay, well then I'm no good, I stink, I'm lower than pond scum, I mean, I'm just, that, that's who I am, that's real humility. That's not what I'm talking about. Genuine humility allows you to be honest about your sin. It allows you to be honest about your strengths and weaknesses. It, it allows us to be able to say this, you know what, I'm really good at these things. It's not bragging, it's just who we are. I mean, God has made me to be good at these few things over here. On the other hand, it allows you to say, you know what, <laughs> I'm really not good at these things over here. You know, there's some things I'm not good at. You never want me to fix your car. Don't invite me to that party, because I will tell you, I mean, I'm just good to know what a wrench looks like, all right? Hand me a Phillips head. Is that the little twisty one? or the? You know, I mean, it's not that bad, but I'm just telling you, I mean, it, it, it's one of those things. I want to tell you something. I cannot tell you how freeing that has been for me to be able to say over the years, and especially over the last just few years, you know what, I'm not good at some things. I'm just not good at these things, and I need other people in my life to fill in the gaps. Now, I'll tell you something. That's tough for a pastor to say because pastors, I mean, we're all alike, and we've had these conversations. I've never found one that would differ on what I'm about to say. We all feel that there's a huge amount of expectation placed upon us to be good at everything, all right, to be an expert on a hundred different things, all right, and, and, and I think for a lot of, in a lot of ways that's caused this whole pastor on a pedestal thing that a lot of churches have because pastors don't ever want to let people know that that we have problems that we have, that we actually sin that we have weaknesses that uh you know we struggle in our marriage just like you do that our kids aren't great just like yours aren't and and so we we deal with that a lot because people want to have somebody to put on a pedestal now i'm going to tell you something real honestly and just i'll give you throughout one of my weaknesses okay i'm not a big detail guy all right, and some of you who have worked alongside of me, you, and in the first service, people, I could see people shaking their head, and they were kind of, you know, I'm, I'm just not. I mean, right now, and I'll tell you, right now we're in the budget process here at Westridge, okay? I'd rather be tortured by Jack Bauer than to sit through a budget meeting. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding you. I mean, it, it, is, it is painful for me. I mean, you, you know, if you put me in a meeting for over an hour that has to do with details, I mean, you might as well just put a drool bucket around my neck. I mean, I'm, I'm truly, I'm dying, Okay. I mean, you know, you, I've talked about some other things. I mean, there are just things, you know, people go, well, I want to meet with you because you're the pastor. What's your problem? And, you know, and I'll go, you really don't want to meet with me. You want to meet with them. No, I want to meet with you. Trust me, you don't want to meet with me. 
okay? It's not my forte. It's not my strength. It's not where I'm strong, you know? And, but, but you're supposed to be strong at everything. You're the pastor. No, I'm not. I'm the pastor, but I'm not strong at everything, <laughs> all right? And I, I'm, just, I'm willing to admit that. But you know what? That's the beauty of our staff at Westridge. It really is. I mean, and I have strengths that others don't. But the great thing is that, I, is that I've surrounded myself with people who fill in for my weaknesses, who do things better than I do. And uh, if you want to know what some of my weak, more, more, more of my weaknesses are, just get my staff alone and they might share that with you. But again, you know what? When we come together and we put our strengths together, we, when I fill in the gap for my weaknesses, I want to tell you, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It, it just comes together like this. When the staff at Westridge is clicking on all cylinders, I mean, it is a beautiful thing. Why? Because we need each other. Now, how does all that work? How does that work? Well, uh, Paul lays it out in verse 4 and 5. See, once you get this clear understanding of who you are, then you get to tackle another question, and the question is, where do I belong? Verse 4, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all others. Now, why do I need to come to church? Some of you guys may have asked that question. Why, Why do I need to come to church. Well, I'm going to be really honest with you. Ready? Here's the answer. If you don't come to church on a weekly basis, God will punish you. Okay? And some, there's some folks clapping in here. I mean, it's weird, all right? Um, you're, listen, your week's going to be terrible, and bad things will happen in your life if you don't. Now, is that true? No. That is not true, okay? Now, I believe some of that growing up, but the reason that we come to church, the reason why we get up on Sunday, the reason why we make this a part of our daily week is because this is where you belong. This is where God, is, this is where God wants you to be. You're needed here. You belong to the body of Christ because you have a role to fill. All right, now, I know sometimes we throw around religious terms, and body of Christ is one of them, and, and, and sometimes we, you know, as a pastor, I think you understand what that means. But listen, I want to I just kind of break that down for you. When Jesus met people, he would extend a hand to them to say to them, I care about you. When, when he saw people were hurting, he would embrace them to say to them, I love you. I mean, he would hug them. When, when he would run into someone who was, was hurt, maybe, maybe sick or ill or whatever, he would heal them. When he, when he ran across people that were hungry, truly hungry, what did he do? He fed them. When someone died, he came along and he comforted the family. He actually would cry with them. Now, when we say that we are the body of Christ, it's not some, just some religious phrase that we, we, we throw around. We are actually saying we are his body. We are here to do what he would do if he were actually here physically. We are actually the hands and the feet and the eyes and the ears, the body of Jesus Christ to the people around us. We are his representatives. We are his ambassadors. If you, if you met a person who had never heard the name Jesus before didn't know anything about them, about him, but yet you said, you told them that you were a follower. You were one of his disciples. All they would know about him would be what they see in you. Now think about that for a moment. And ask the question, how am I doing? How are we doing as a church? Have we truly given the unchurched, the lost people around us, an accurate, an accurate true picture of Jesus Christ? When the community walks into this building... 
Do they see real people who know their strengths and are using them to be part of the body of Christ who realize this is where I belong, not because I'm going to be punished if I don't come here, but it's because God has given me a role to fill, and I'm going to fill it. Do they see others who are honest about their weaknesses so much that, that they're able to even celebrate the strengths in other people? Do they see people who, who, uh, who, who truly feel that they belong to something? So much that they're investing themselves in it with their time and with, with, with their gifts and even with their financial resources. Or do they see what I think the church has represented for a long time? A, a, an insecure group of people who are afraid to show the real them. Who wear a facade. Who wear a mask because they don't want anybody to really know what's going on. A group of people that, that maybe come here out of guilt and everybody knows it. They know you don't really want to be here. They can see it on your face when we're singing or when you're sitting there, or people who, who sit on the sidelines. They, all they do is they see people sitting on the sidelines, taking up a seat, who, who really don't want to engage because they're afraid that someone may find out what they're weak at, or, or, or they're afraid someone will get to know real them, the, the real them. You know what all that is? That's religious thinking. It's religious thinking. Listen, we come here because this is where we belong. This is who we are. We serve here because, not because someone stands up and goes, the kids are going to struggle. Babies are going to be running out, around without diapers on me. It's going to be chaos. No, we serve because we're compelled by the love of Christ to want to love on other people, to be the hands and feet and the body of Jesus to other people. And then the third question that we ask ourselves and that we need to know the answer to is, what am I supposed to do? Verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it to in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Now, this is a, one of the few places in Scripture where spiritual gifts are mentioned. And Paul mentions seven of those gifts in these three verses. And he says, according to the grace given to us, we are to use our gifts. If you have the gift of teaching, teach. If you have the gift of serving, then serve. If you have the gift of, of giving, then give generously. If you have the gift of leadership, then, then govern diligently. Lead with all of your might. So Paul's laying out a challenge here. He says, know what you're meant to do and do it. Find out what you are meant to do and don't sit around and wait for an opportunity. Jump in and do it. God has given every one of you in this room that know him personally a primary spiritual gift. And he's probably given you a collection of other gifts around that gift. And when we come together as the body of Christ, as the church, this is where the life and the love of Jesus Christ is expressed to other people. And so Paul answers the questions. Who am I? I'm a, I'm a child of God. Good, bad, ugly, strengths, weaknesses, I am a child of God. Where do I belong? You belong. You're part of the body of Christ. What am I supposed to do? You are, you are commanded to discover your gifts. You are commanded to get those gifts into play, to use your spiritual gifts. Now, how do I find out what in the world these are? Well, we're going to make it simple for you. We, we put on our website, um, our new website, westridge.com, we put a place where you can go on there and take a spiritual gift test. Now, I want to just give you a little disclaimer, because I know all of us come from different denominational backgrounds, and some of you have different opinions about the gifts. All of the gifts are on there, okay? Every gift that's in the Bible is listed on the spiritual gift test. And so all of a sudden, if you're taking the test and you don't believe in one of those gifts and, and you come up high in that, I mean, you've probably got an issue. So, um, <laughs> all right, don't come to me for counseling. It's a weakness, all right? So, um, but uh, you, you take, take a gift, find out what it is. Here's another way to do it. 
Write down what you're strong at. Write it, do it right now. Write down the three things that you love to do, things that you would say, these are my strengths. What am I really good at? There are probably a few things that you're really, really good at. And Paul says, listen, do those things. Give your life to those things. See, we spend so much time trying to get better at our weaknesses. Don't do that. Have someone else fill in for your weaknesses. Focus on your strengths. Focus on your gifts. Invest your life into those things for God's glory. And use them to build up the body of Christ, not to make you look better. Now, some of you, um, I'm just going to give a little advertisement, a little plug for our student ministry area. I don't know if you know this or not, we have actually doubled in size in our student ministry area in middle school and high school. Now, that's, it's, it's awesome. And it's a, it's a tribute to James and Brad and the whole student ministry team, and it's been really amazing. But when you double in size, you also have to double your leaders. And we are needing to do that. And if so, if you love to work with middle schoolers, you're one of those unique people that love middle schoolers, all right? Or you're, you're, you love to work with high schoolers. Listen, and you've been wondering, how do I get engaged? Here's what I want you to do. Go to the website, all right, or go out to the information table at the end of the service in the atrium. They've got some cards out there that look just like that red advertisement that we put up there. And they're going to have some training meetings coming up this summer, some leadership training meetings. They need you to get engaged. See, I, I think the reason why people can come to church, they come here on Sunday, they do the Sunday thing, okay? They act spiritual, they sing the songs, they give lip service to God, they throw a little tip in the bucket as it goes by, and why, how they can come here and then walk out of here and act totally different on Monday through, th- through Saturday is because they really haven't answered the three questions. See, when you can answer these questions accurately and you begin to adjust your life to those answers, you'll never be the same. You will stop going outside of your relationship with Christ to find fulfillment and satisfaction. You, listen, you will stop. You'll be able to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. You'll be able to begin to shake off your religion, lose your religion, and you'll begin to walk even closer to what it, what it actually means to become an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. See, the, the people that I meet in the Christian world that are really doing phenomenal things, and, and I, was glad, I was glad to see Dave Carmichael up here. I mean, this guy's a, a man's man, football player at Vanderbilt, lieutenant colonel in the Marines. I mean, this guy could kill you in a million different ways in, in five seconds, all right? <laughs> but, you know, I look at his wife, he and his wife, honestly, and you know what I see in them? And the reason why we would put someone like him on stage is because he's, he's answered the questions. Who am I? There's no doubt in the man's mind. He knows who he is. When I, people that I know that are doing phenomenal things for Christ, th- there's no doubt inside of them who they are. They know where they belong. They know that they belong to be part of the body of Christ, to take their gifts and to put them in action. They know what they're supposed to do. They know that life is all about glorifying God and using their gifts to love people. Now, there are some things that I want to talk to you about this morning as we end that I just I want to pour these things into your life. And you know, part of what I'm talking about this morning has really been part of my own personal journey. You know, I I shared with you the first week about just the list that I grew up with and how in 87, God really just sent me in a different path. But I remember uh, in 1994, um, Amy and I had been married for a couple years and we did a family vacation with her family to Myrtle Beach. Her her grandmother used to own a beach house. And um, I had a friend that gave me a book that uh, he gave me a book and I kind of put it on a shelf, just kind of neglected it and we were going to the beach, and so I grabbed some books to read while I was there. And I grabbed this book right here called Classic Christianity from a guy named Bob George. The subtitle is Life's Too Short to Miss the Real Thing. Um, 
Now, I want you to understand something. I had graduated from a Christian college, four-year degree. I had just graduated with a four-and-a-half-year degree, a Master's of Divinity, you know, in seminary. I mean, I had enough Bible training to be somewhat dangerous. And I pick up this book, and I'm reading it on the front porch of her grandmother's beach house. And Amy comes out, and um, she says, what you doing? I said, I just kind of had my head turned. And um, she, she says, are you okay? And I, and I mean, I tears pouring down my face, just tears. I had already been in ministry, you know, for several years at this point. And she says, what's wrong? And I said, I, I'm reading this book. And I said, Amy, I cannot believe it, that I've never, it's like I've never heard this stuff before. Uh, who I really am in, in Christ, the great exchange. I mean, you know, being freed from this yoke of, of the slavery of, of sin. And I mean, I mean, just all of this stuff that was just, I mean, who, who I really am in Christ. I mean, I can't remember hearing this. Or if I, if I heard it, I wouldn't listen. I don't know what happened there. And I'm going to tell you something. It began to free me. I began to speak differently. I began to live my life differently. I began to look at others differently. Look at people. I, I wanted to teach them something so badly because of what it did for me as, as, as a person growing up, up in a religious world. And so as we close, I want to give you three things. Three things that you have to get. You must know this if you're going to truly re- lose your religion. And first one is this. God has created you to be a unique you. In other words, you are e- eternally valuable. Psalm chapter 139, verse 13, 14 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I, I cannot tell you how badly I want you to get this. Some of you, you know that God loves you, but you struggle with the idea that God actually likes you. Can I tell you something? He likes you. You are eternally valuable to him. See, religion, it causes us to be insecure. It causes us to to feel that other people may not really like us if they got to know the real us. But when you lose that, that, that idea and you replace it with truth and you realize that God really likes me for who I am, then I don't have to be so worried about what other people think about me. When I know that I'm eternally valuable to him, who cares what other people think about me? The second thing is, God's placed you in his family. You are, you are unconditionally accepted. Go to Ephesians 3, verses 19 through 22. Read about it. Some of you have never felt part of a family before. And so you have a hard time identifying with the idea that I am unconditionally accepted into a family. I mean, in your mind, you've got to work, 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 try harder, do more. You, you're, you're in his family. I know some of you are thinking, now what if I mess up tomorrow? God's going to hate me. He's going to punish me. He's going to throw me out of his family. He's going to hammer on me. No. Listen, God doesn't hate you. His love for you is not conditional. He's not a fickle father. If he were a fickle father, we would all be in trouble. I would be in trouble. If he were truly like that, you were unconditionally accepted. Girls, look at me. You were unconditionally accepted by a father who thinks you're great. Now, you may be thinking, awesome. I can go out to sin tomorrow, do anything I want tonight, sleep with whoever I want, and then tomorrow God will forgive me, and I'll say I'm sorry, and he'll love me anyways. What a deal! Don't do that! Why? Because there are consequences to our actions. There are natural consequences to our sin. When we have a healthy view of who we are in Christ, it will give us a healthy view of God. And part of that view will also include a proper understanding of what it means to fear God in a very healthy way. And let me ask you this, truly. Why would you ever want to walk out of here and trample on the grace of God? 
the grace of God, of a God who's extended something to you that you don't deserve in the first place. Why? Why would you ever want to go to work tomorrow and, be, and pretend to be something you're not when you have a father who unconditionally has accepted you into his family? Why would you want to live outside of that? You are one of his children. Why would you want to act, like, act tomorrow, even tonight, like you're not? Honestly, it's a slap in the face to the grace of God. And then third, God has given you certain gifts to fulfill his purpose. In other words, you are uniquely significant. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us a long time ago. You are a masterpiece. And God, in his wisdom and his sovereignty, long, long, long ago before you were ever created, he knew that you would be here And he created you to do some really cool things on earth for his glory. Don't miss out on those things. Don't miss out on those things because you feel insecure, because you are fearful, because you're doubting. Don't let religion tell you something different about yourself. Don't let it lie to you. An authentic follower of Jesus Christ is not only surrendered to God, not only are they separated from the world, but they're also honest in their assessment of who they really are. They accept it. They know who they are. They know that they're valuable in God's eyes. They they don't need to find their worth and value outside of that relationship. They don't need to go sleep around with somebody to feel good about themselves. They don't need to go act a different way tomorrow at work to know. I mean, they just don't care about what people think in the first place. Because they know who they are in Christ. They know that he loves them and accepts them. He likes them. They also know that they belong to Jesus. They're part of a family called the body of Christ. They, they don't have to be someone different tomorrow at school to try to find acceptance and security. They're unconditionally accepted into God's family. And they also know what life is all about. They know that God has given them strengths and gifts. They know they're uniquely significant. And, and they know that they've been called to use their strengths for God's glory and to, to, to love other people. Now, with all of that... With all of that, why would anyone ever want to settle for anything less? And here's my question to you this morning. Are you settling for less? Are you settling for less than who you really are? Than for what God truly says about you? Or has religion caused you to have a skewed idea of who God is in the first place? Who Jesus is and what an authentic follower really looks like and who you are in his sight? Let's make it our goal this morning to say, you know, enough of that. I, I know who I am. I know where I belong. And I know what my life's all about. I'm going to find out. And once I find out, I'm going to put it into play. And I'm not looking back. And tomorrow when I go to work or I go to school, people will know. They will know who I am. They will know where I belong. They know what my life's all about. I won't be hiding, trying to find security somewhere else. They will know because I'm confident in it. Not prideful. Not false humility, confident in who you are in Jesus Christ because of him. I wish I could grab our high school girls and high school boys and even our middle schoolers and just, I wish I could pour this into you. Seriously, I wish, if you could grab a hold of this and live this out, it it would change the way that you do high school. You you would never look back on your high school years and say, I wish I'd have done this differently. Like so many of you do would never walk through the halls of our work and put on a mask or a facade. We would just be confident. This is who I am. This is where I belong. It's 
what I'm supposed to do. When you lose your religion, you begin to shake it off. You're able to live that way. And what a great, great life it is. It, when you discover who you are and you really start living it out, it'll be the greatest day of your life outside of your salvation. Father, help us today to not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Lord, part of losing our religion is to grab hold and to be able to answer these three questions truthfully, to let them soak deep down into our hearts and to let it change us so that who we are on Sunday morning is who we are on Sunday night. And it's who we are on Monday morning and Monday night and through the rest of the week. And we are confident, Lord, we have strengths use those and our weaknesses cause us to pull others around us they create relationships for us and we know where we belong we know that we're this is where we're part of a family and we don't question we just know what we're supposed to do we've got we put those gifts into play and we don't care about what other people think about us not haughty but we're just confident in, in you in Christ the fact that you live your life through us. And it's just a great thing. We love you for that. Help us to live that out today in Jesus' name.